is bad and bullshit. Welcome to the Bad and Bitchy Podcast. I'm Erica. And today we have sort of a special off-cycle episode. We're going to take a topic and do a deep dive. Uh, And today's deep dive is in gaming and gaming culture. Uh, Gaming is a multi-billion dollar industry, but it's a culture that we don't talk about a lot, especially when it comes to women and BIPOC communities. So Sherry Wong is back with us that is correct sherry this is your three-peat on this (laughs) podcast so if you remember a couple of episodes ago um sherry did part two of our election interference special so as somebody who doesn't want to pigeonhole um BIPOC as experts in our identities only. We brought Sherry back on to talk about gaming. Let's take an intersectional look at gaming and see what we come up with. So, Sherry. Yeah. (laughs) When we were talking off mic, we were talking about um, the pipeline from gaming to white supremacy. And I think it's an important way that uh, youth, especially especially young boys, are being radicalized in those ideas. And it's so niche and remote and specific, and there's a whole culture around it that is sort of like a barrier to entry for those outside of gaming. So we just want to kind of add our voices to a conversation that I think that we should be having more of as we talk more and more about the rise of the far right. So in that context, can you kind of talk to us about platforms, about, you know, the culture around it, struck you know organization that kind of thing yeah I think for gaming it's really easy to say like oh gaming culture it's about gamers people who play games but it's actually so much bigger than that it's the people who make the console so the PlayStation or the Xbox it's the people who make the games themselves the voice actors and the like actor actor in these games and Mm -hmm. people who stream games so they play it online so other people could watch them and it's also divided by various subcultures you know divided by I am an overwatch gamer so that makes me an overwatch gaming like culture um I what does that mean overwatched (laughs) so like each game has basically their own following and you have to kind of for gaming culture, it's exact, um, precisely, it's like, you, you group with the people you play the same game with, um, you have a community with the people you play the same games. And I think this is where outsiders don't really get it. But it's like a, it's a sport, like as an esport is a thing, but like, for playing games as a regular person, there's a sport like solidarity, 
you know, I'm trying to overcome this heart level. So I talk to other people who play the same games, like, how did you get over that really heart level? How did you find that item? Mm -hmm. And you build that level of solidarity, that friendship, that with someone you frankly don't ever know or won't ever talk to, who is just an anonymous username. Mm -hmm. But there is a level of friendship and there's a level of solidarity that's being built within these games that outsiders don't really understand. They're like, oh, you just play the same game. Well, no, like we exchange tips. We talk about what is your theory about this game? Like what's the storyline? Um, but that's kind of where um, I think regular people understand gaming is just a game, but it's um, it's about the story. It's about how you play the controls. And, you know, I really like this voice actor. So I follow you know, what this voice actor's next game is going to be. Um, so there's a very diverse group of people um, that are within this kind of really big sphere of what gaming is. So let's take it down to its very basic levels. You have two competing consoles, for example. So let's talk about access to this culture is basically where I'm going. So you have computer games, so PC games, I guess. Um, I assume you have Mac games or. Um, yeah. So I think, yes, the very simplistic way is that we have computer games where you play on a play like a PC and then there's the console game. So it's played on Xbox or on PlayStation. Um, both nowadays have a very, you know, hefty price tag to them. Um, you know, a PlayStation is like five, $600. If you get a headset, if you get a new controller, that's, you know, additional money you're adding on. But a gaming computer is also hundreds of dollars. So it is appealing to a very specific group of people who can afford it. Um, but more importantly, you know, when new games come out, you need to get a new console. You need to get a new PC part to be able to play it. So it is a very expensive hobby for upkeep as well. Okay. Which means it will target a very certain demographic, a yeah. specific demographic. And what is that demographic? Oh, uh, middle, uh, middle class, if there is the one, uh, the upper middle, middle class. Okay, middle to upper class. Okay. Yeah, um, there's definitely a lot of white people who are in the gaming industries, mm -hmm. uh, streamers, game makers, um, but also gamers themselves. And I think it is it is important to say like there there are racialized gamers. I am myself one, but it it's a very invisible group compared to the white gaming. Um, group which is the dominant the uh, overshadowing literally everything else group and of people and specific gender yeah uh, definitely a very men dominated industry mm -hmm. um, again it's not like that there isn't um, women and girls and people who don't uh, fit into the binary in gaming it's just that they are put pushed to the periphery. Um, they're on the outside of what the gaming industry is. And there are deliberate and um, invisible ways of these people being kept out. But in the core of it, gaming is a white, heterosexual, queer-hating, <laughs> uh, 
men's sport. Okay. So you have your consoles, you're shelling out money for the consoles. How much are the games? Uh, I've paid like upward of like 120, 150 for a game. You know, you get the add-ons and all the fancy stuff with it, but you know. What's the fancy stuff? (laughs) Um, You know, you get like a special skin for your character. You get Mm -hmm. to have a special like um, extra story to your um, game that you're buying. We call it downloadable content. So DLC, Um, those usually cost extra money, but the games itself nowadays average out, you know, 70 to 80 to $90 plus tax. Um, and these download downloadable content. So the add-ons, they're usually $20, $30. But nowadays we actually see a lot of games becoming free. Um, so there is a hook for uh, consumers when they, you know, oh, this game is free, I'll download it. But then once you download it, there's like hundreds of microtransactions. So you can still be dishing out hundreds of dollars to the game that you're playing for free. Yeah, because the money's in the accessories. Absolutely. You know, like you want is... your character to look good. So you want to no, no, no. get like, I need the accessories of the game itself. Oh, yeah, definitely. You know, the add-ons. Uh, it's, and that's... It's, it's the first, it's like first rule of retail. Well, not the first, but you know. But um, nowadays, mm-hmm. like games themselves become so much more, right? You could buy those things to take home. Like I'm wearing my special headphones that's from a specific game, so they can mark up a headphone from you know fifty dollar to ninety dollars because it's associated with a game. So it is a huge industry with wow, they're a really lot milking of money. y'all. Wow, one hundred twenty dollars. <laughs> what? it is high quality i will say but (laughs) i shouldn't even say anything because apple has like headphones that are like 500 bucks so i you know that's a whole another conversation anyway um so okay so we have the consoles so do the does the same game do the same games play on all consoles no not really um some games are console specific because they like monopolies really in the gaming Mm -hmm. industry so um some games are only available on a certain platform so um you know they would have so there's these deals that console makers make with game makers Mm -hmm. because they're in the same industry so they say hey i will give you my game i will give it to you early and I'll create a special level just for your console. And you pay me in some investment for this game while we develop this game. So while this probably this game is accessible on PC, on Xbox, on PlayStation, but it only has a special level on the PlayStation. So if you're a true gamer and you really want to get that experience, you will go and buy a PlayStation so that you could play that one specific level. So you have to buy both consoles? For some games, yeah. Um, Like for Halo, one of the, you know, really, I guess, famous games nowadays for the mainstreamers, Halo is only playable by Xbox. You cannot play Halo anywhere else. So if you want to play Halo, you've got to buy a new Xbox. That's how they get you. That's how they make people sink hundreds and hundreds of dollars into these games. Wow. (laughs) Yeah. I'm sorry. I'm just like, I'm just... 
I'm adding up the expense in my head. It's not a cheap hobby at all. So like, for example, I play PC game and I play console games, but for my PC, you know, all of my parts work, but the game is not loading quite right. So I go buy a new piece of, you know, hardware to put on my PC. That's $500. My keyboard is a little sticky. You know, I should get a new one. That's $200. So every piece of equipment you buy is advancing the gaming industry because there are people who make keyboards just for gaming. There are people who make PC parts just for gaming. Um, And a little fun fact for people who don't really understand it, like the reason why computers are what they are today is because of gaming, because people wanted to put games on computers. So they developed stronger and faster and more capable computers so they could play different games on these computers. And that's how, you know, gaming and computer making is very closely connected. Oh, really? Yeah, it's a very fascinating history. One that I don't know enough about. (laughs) Okay. Well, that's quite fascinating, actually, because I, my last um, console was like the PS3, right? (laughs) And I was playing Mafia 2 on it. And that was, you know, my thing. And I saw and noticed and noted the racial like division in that in that game have you ever played it i have not okay mafia 2 is a game where you're in the mafia you're like you're not made yet so you have to get made right by doing like different things i've I've watched gameplays of this (laughs) yeah yeah no it's honestly it is friggin' cool actually (laughs) okay um it was around the time when red dead redemption was all the rage right Mm -hmm. okay so before two came out so um so it was but it's set in like the 50s right so you have the black side of town and you have the white side of town and you have the italian side of town Mm -hmm. and it is (laughs) not good for racial equality (laughs) and i think this is why we need to bring up the computing point of view and gaming who built computers who were the like computer engineers for like decades white people it was a white person industry well it still is well it's funny as an aside i was at um I was at the Broadbent Institute conference and there was a panel and they said, um, somebody said that when women were computer scientists, it was, it was more like an admin job and they paid shit. As soon as men got into the industry, all of a sudden the pay went up and and women were pushed out. I was like, what? Mic drop. Yeah. It's not only that it wasn't good for for racial equality. It's, it's that it reinforced certain stereotypes 
the music changed as you went across town. Actually, I thought from like, you know, the, 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 you know, the jig. (laughs) (laughs) But to like the blues, you know what I mean? Seriously. They don't hide it. They don't hide that. Very specific. And I was just like, wow, there's a lot to unpack there. White supremacy is seeped into every aspect of gaming. So, like, we talk about the building of computers and gaming, like, those were initially done by white people. And now we talk about game development, game devs, as we call it. Also, majority heterosexual men who are white, who are privileged, who are from a certain background. And then we go into people who promote these games, who write the stories for them. They're still white people who are, unfortunately, perpetuating white supremacy in all of their pieces of work. So when we see games that come out that you're like, this is uncomfortable. There's a lot of, you know, quote unquote, hidden racism. Well, sometimes it's not so hidden. It's really in your face. It's really because the industry has perpetuated the same narratives and the same story, right? We can look at Mario, like it's about a guy who goes to save a princess. Not only is there a very clear like misogyny embedded in that, um, that's a very simplistic story. And even that it's like drenched in misogyny. So when you go into more complex stories, uh, one of the games I was thinking about before we started today was Far Cry, which is like the more recent ones is basically an American man got stranded in some quote unquote foreign country that is backwards, that doesn't have democracy. And this white man will go and work with quote unquote freedom fighters to free them from their oppression. Like that whole story, it positions the white man as the hero, the white man who comes in and saves the day, who helps the locals, who also happen to be racialized people living in a quote unquote underdeveloped country. Like that itself is the entire narrative that the gaming industry repeatedly put out in different formats and different stories in fantasy, in historical games, in online multiplayers. Oh, hell, if we talk about even more, quote unquote, progressive games where there are representations. So as I said earlier, I play Overwatch, which is supposed to be famous for they have representation for all nations, for queer people, for racialized people, for non-white people. Even that game was made by sexual predators at Blizzard um, who got away with it. And Blizzard continues to get away with, uh, you know, labor violations. So, oh, the Blizzard story. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Maybe we should explain what happened at Blizzard in 30 seconds or less. A bunch of workers came out to say we are being abused by our employer, that there are sexual harassment, that there are labor violations, and they went ignored. Um, I think it's a very standard story for people who are who understand white supremacy and misogyny in the workplace. You raise attention to it, you get fired and kicked out. Um, and that's the same within Blizzard and the gaming industry overall. 
Yeah, the gaming industry is not known for its progression <laughs> to, you know, civil and human rights, let's just say. No, and I think there is exploitation, like deliberate exploitation of these certain, you know, hero stories. They know that their market is with, you know, middle class, young boys, young white boys who want to feel like they're the heroes, that they're the badasses. So it is easy to create a game that centers a white boy who, like I said, in Far Cry, they go to the, some far off country and become the liberator for these racialized people. Right. That's an easy narrative. That's an easy story to like for a middle-class white boy who is in North America, who would be like, I want to be a hero. I want to liberate these poor people. Right. And yeah, there's money to be made here and that's why they're so successful. Well, evidently, I mean... (laughs) I'm glad we went through like the pricing structure of this stuff because I don't know what the full economic picture looks like of this industry, but it seems to me that the add-ons are, it's not only the money that you have to sink into this, but it's the add-ons that make it quite expensive and it's continuous because the thing about it is, is that if you want to play in the same with the same people you played with before you have to continue to invest in this merchandise to stay part of the communities yeah and and that's what i find very perpetuating you can't get out of it right like right right it keeps you in yeah in that way so i i so i mean these And I think that that's writ large what we're missing when we talk about, say, online chat rooms or 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 spaces of hate or spaces of of misogyny and 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 racism and 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 um, homophobia and 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 and, you know, queer phobia, really. Um, What we're talking about are the fact that these people have formed community around these ideas, around these beliefs. And so it's a lot harder to just move away or get them to move away from it than we give it credit for. Um, That community aspect keeps people in. And it's so important that it seems to me, uh, especially in gaming, gaming seems to understand that and has priced... um, the entry and the participation of that accordingly as to reinforce these structures yeah and like there's a lot of free games nowadays but it also opens up a problem that if i can make a game and put it up and people will download it and play it and stream it and review it that means a white supremacist can do exactly the same thing and create a game of hate put it up and let people download it and engage in it so it's the sense of community is also very real like uh for a lot of gamers like a lot of games have a daily daily thing you have to log in every day play the game for 10 minutes every day and you get this reward well it's all always easier to log in your game and play with people you know because you will get those rewards quicker 
So then you're talking to these people every day and you're getting involved with them every day. Interesting. Yeah. So I I don't I don't want people to see like, oh, all all online interactions are bad and gaming is bad because it drives people into hate. Well, it's not that fast. Like you first adapt these people into your everyday life because it makes your gaming easier. Right. Like I'm having a really hard time to get this achievement. Could you help me out? Like everything is easier when you have a friend around, someone who is understanding who is willing to help you out and then you know you get a little friendlier oh like you want to join my discord channel with similar people who can also help you out with your achievements and help you over this hard level then you go into this score and you see you know 20 other people there always nice to you at first always talking about positive things about the game and then you notice things kind of go sour a little off comment here and there something misogynistic about women something hate filled oh I really don't like those immigrants like those types of things that you start to catch on you often are already too late like you already built a relationship with these people you already have you know a a daily routine I log in every day at eight o'clock I go in and play this game with everybody like and that's how they kind of hook you in I think for the recruitment aspect but you know and then you spend more and more time with them yeah and solely you you don't really notice like that you believe your beliefs have changed because you're soaking in the information that they're putting out for discord you know i don't have to necessarily be playing the game i could be going out doing my grocery and i'll log into the voice channel to see what my pals are up to and that type of kind of camaraderie that i was mentioning you have with these people so that's what Discord does, basically. It Discord. allows you to keep in touch with these people when you're not on the game or the console or whatever. Yeah, and it allows you to organize. You can have voice channels. You can have you know streaming channels. So even if you're not playing the same game or that you know I'm playing something else, they might decide to log onto Discord and watch me play, or I watch them play. Um, And yeah, I think I mentioned a little earlier, there's an amenity in this gaming practice. You usually don't use your real name. So people usually feel safer to say things that they wouldn't otherwise say in a public space. Like, and that kind of gives room for people to say really outrageous and really hate-filled things. And if they don't get, you know, rejected or if they don't get shot down, then it kind of they kind of push the boundary a little bit more. I will say more hatred filled things and see if people would react. And that boundary kind of gets pushed along the way. Discord mm-hmm. is one of the scariest places for gamers to be, uh, especially for myself as a queer racialized young female gamer. The shit I've overheard on some of these channels where they thought I was a boy or that they didn't know who I was people would say things and realize that no one would fight them. Like, oh, I hate all immigrants. Oh, like COVID is all the Chinese's fault. If nobody corrects them, that they can go on and say more extreme things. And that line kind of gets pushed further and further until that becomes the standard practice. So we are going to um, put a pin in that. And... I want to really make it 
um, understood that the structure of these games, um, the content itself, everything about how these games are crafted are along the along the basis of established um, social and economic hierarchies in society along those fault lines. As we've gotten into that, I just want to pull up um, a paper that you suggested, Deviant Bodies, Stigmatized Identities and Racist Acts, Examining the Experiences of African-American Gamers in Xbox Live. First of all, I learned a new phrase, pixelated minstrelsy. (laughs) This is dope. The idea is that the the racial imagery, um, for example, the race of the characters, et cetera, et cetera, um, the gender of the characters, what they're doing, what their roles are in the game, the environments that they are constructed in all of these things are part and parcel of um, a hegemonic whiteness and masculinity in other words as you were talking about with the sort of white saviorism of the game that you were talking about earlier that's an example of pixelated minstrelsy for example and so um, what we're seeing is that these lines are being reinforced within the games themselves. And therefore, for sort of right, the right wing to come in and kind of massage um, what at its basis is already there is not difficult for them. I wanted to put that out there. Uh, also... In another piece you sent me, in the NPR piece, right-wing hate groups are recruiting video gamers. There is a story about John and his son, and John knew his son was spending time playing video games. And of course, during COVID, I'm sure they were playing even more, which is not surprising why COVID kind of fueled, COVID fueled um, a radicalization of boys, especially white boys. And you, like, I'm starting to hear it out loud. Yeah. And I'm like, what is happening? Okay. So John knew that his son was spending time playing video games, either chatting out loud or over text, but there were no obvious red flags. There never is until there is. <laughs> right. They were his son's friends. They talked to him about problems he was having at school. Suggested that some of his Black classmates as scapegoats. They also keyed into his interest in history, especially military history and Nordic mythology. By the way, I've noticed that World War II is a big, like, Uh subject in gaming. Black Ops. (laughs) And it's not surprising to me now that I'm seeing this pipeline, okay, 
that a lot of like white supremacists and white like neo-nazi imagery centers around like world war ii shit and i'm now seeing the connection well initially they were thinking oh well use the nazis everybody hates nazis but then that phase then ended. everybody didn't hate nazis <laughs> didn't hate nazis you okay know, like, but that- let's go hold on let's go back to john he started to feel like he was in on something he was now in the crowd in the in crowd with these guys it provided some structure and identity that he was searching for at the time John learned that his son had been drawn into a conversation with at least one group that the Southern Poverty Law Center calls a Nazi terrorist organization. So I don't know what this Nazi terrorist organization is, but uh, I'm not surprised. Apparently, recruitment and even planning of harassment campaigns happens not only during in-game chat, but during live streaming of gameplay on platforms like Twitch and YouTube and, like you said, Discord. So I'm assuming that John's experience is exactly what you're talking about. Before we start talking about the radicalization of um, youth boys online through gaming... That really came to fruition through Gamergate, which was, I believe, 2014. So can you explain to us what Gamergate was and its significance? Widespread hatred towards female gamers and game developers basically is what Gamergate was. A massive misogynistic attack targeting, I think one of them, initially is a racialized woman and then it just expanded to pure hatred towards women and girls and shutting them out of uh, so-called gamer spaces so conferences jobs (laughs) online spaces (laughs) yeah so in let's just give a recap in 2014 um there was a single blog post published uh, in Daily Dot, that blog, and which unleashed a stream of vitriol and harassment against uh, feminist gamer Zoe Quinn. And basically, this blog post was a misogynistic attack against her. Her ex insinuated that she was sleeping with a whole bunch of, I believe, developers or something. Um, thereby uh, thereby undermining her expertise, basically. And uh, it became, I don't know how, I don't know the mechanism, but it, be, it, it quickly became a whole anti-feminist crusade against women in gaming spaces. And um, I think that that's the fact that it started with misogyny is everything, right? Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, the misogyny is built into the white supremacy, built into the gaming industry from the very core. 
um, from the, again, like when we talk about the making of the computers, the making of the games, the making of the stories, developing that game, all of it is entrenched in misogyny. And that's just a pure explosion of all of that hate that every level of people are feeling because they felt like women and feminists and girls are taking over spaces that are traditionally men dominated and that's not Mm -hmm. right. So it's a ejection of progress an ejection of anyone who doesn't fit into their ideals of what a woman or a girl should be like, which in their eyes, (laughs) big boobs, big butt, they just smile and nod. And that's the kind of girls and women they want in the gaming industry and nothing else. So yeah, it's. <sighs> but it's it's also seeped into mainstream and it's seeped into other sort of social media cultures, because if you think of the trad wife phenomenon on TikTok, where where these young women want to be, quote unquote, traditional wives. That's um, yeah. Yeah, it's a thing. Shit. <laughs> yeah. Shit. So I, I, you know, sort of like this feminist backlash was happening then mm-hmm. and I think that whenever we talk about online hate we fail I have not heard of anybody talking well besides me and maybe you <laughs> of anybody talk reminding people that Gamergate happened people like this is where the the tactics were laid out this is nine years later. It's it's similar tactics. This is where they were perfected. And this is what's been repeated, not only for women, but for other sort of marginalized participants in the online space. Yeah. And like, you know, this is where 4chan was like a thing. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's 4chan is a, is, is, um, I like to call 4chan, 8chan. Like a white supremacist dream, wet dream of Reddit. Yeah, so it's it's like, it's basically like a bulletin board of hate. That's basically what it is in the bowels of the internet. Okay. And sometimes, and that's where a lot of online campaigns form, like Kiwi Farms is another one, right? And, you know, it seems to me that that, connection with gaming is very tight and I feel like Gamergate was where that connection was solidified because like honestly prior to Gamergate women gamers were like oh like we got a girl in our game let's impress her like there was like that type of like misogynistic attitude that was like oh let's wow the girl or like let's impress her Mm -hmm. but then after that there's a definite shift in the attitude towards women gamers. It was like, mm-hmm. get off the game. You can't play. Um, you suck. Like, the attitude towards women gamers changed. Before, it was like the friendlier misogyny, if I may. Uh, you're welcome because you're a sexualized object to be impressed, to obtain. And then after Gamergate, it was straight up just a rejection, um, a violent rejection, like yelling misogynistic terms, especially if you win as a women gamer, 
you're you're a slut you're a whore you're a cheating bitch like yeah those are yeah. the terminology that come out but before it was like oh i got beat by a girl that's so cool like yeah there was a definitely shift and when did that shift happen around <laughs> around gamergate around around gamergate around when mainstream society began talking about feminism in a positive term oh ah, i know right oh that's interesting because gaming has always been a sport or a place where people who feel rejected by mainstream society go you go and escape the world you go and play where you can be the control person you can control what's happening in your society in your own space and when mainstream society began talking in feminism and girls and having girls in leadership tables and decision-making roles that's when the attitude begins to change it's like there's a reason why (laughs) most women and girls who play games they don't play the same games as men and boys Mm -hmm. because the moment you put your voice in the voice chat you get rejected you get called out names you get harassed people add you and try and be your friend because you're a girl and they want to be your friend it's really creepy um so like yeah most women and girls and queer folks who play games don't play the same games that young boys do Um, interesting so these games are very gendered absolutely and it is designed to be gendered you can Mm -hmm. tell when there's a woman involved in making a game right because you you know for a fact like this person wrote a woman in a three-dimensional view with mm-hmm. struggles with a story with a redemption arc and, and then one is a man the subject it. not the object yeah yeah like when a man mm-hmm. does it it's like she got big boobs yeah, yeah. done yeah. <laughs> yeah so even as a woman gamer i wouldn't want to go play a game where i see women being sexualized and objectified it it's not a appealing space for me to be in so gaming is a very gendered space and that's I think it's gotten worse over the last few years but it's always been horrible (laughs) that's yeah that's really interesting that the tide turned once mainstream media was like oh right because Sheryl Sandberg's lean in happened in 2013 And that's when everybody was like, women, go, women, go, da-da-da-da-da. It's true. Everybody was a feminist. Remember those days when everybody was a feminist? Yeah. Yeah, those those were the days. Anyway, but they weren't really, but, you know. So, um, So the other thing about Gamergate is that multiple women reported being threatened and doxxed out of their homes. Can you tell us what being doxxed is? So being doxxed is having your private information. So your birthday, your address, your phone number, your email being published uh, maliciously in a public forum. So these female gamers who got doxxed, their addresses got released, their emails got released, because it's really, frankly, quite easy, um, if you're tech savvy, to track back someone's IP address. And once you have that, um, you know where they live. So that's what happened to a lot of female gamers, they were chased offline, um, 
not just out of the online space, but actually having to leave their home physically because people would show up or people would do insane things to threaten their physical safety. I mean, as somebody who has been the target of like an of an email hate campaign, like I will just say that the the real harassment, it's not the initial harassment, it's the second wave. Mm-hmm. It's the it's those people who who get access to those details and who then harass you. Yeah. Because it comes in waves. Absolutely. Right. And the harassment could be anything from just hate, hateful words to memes to um they will put your likeness on shit mm-hmm. um fake accounts uh that will just like i've had all of it and so it's a psychological torture it's really. psychological warfare and so um i think that we really have to take when we're talking about mental health we can't forget about this but also we're talking about online harassment this these are the bowels <laughs> okay <laughs> from which they originate well <laughs> if we want to talk about gaming harassment like gamers are some of the most angry people out there, why are they so right? angry they can afford the freaking console <laughs> and the add-ons why are they so angry I can't get over this level and they get frustrated oh someone oh. beat me I get frustrated um so for a while i don't remember so they're like they're just disgruntled they're just really angry and they need somewhere to they used to shoot nazis they don't do that anymore but um shoot things and blow things up to get rid of their anger but But here's the thing like the threaten you know the doxing and the threatening that happened like i don't remember that happening in a in a in a concerted way Mm -hmm. until gamergate yeah there's mass mobilization like i said there was a mass mobilization of hate targeted hate targeted harassment and i feel like this was the issue where a lot of their organized groups um really saw how far they could push the envelope Mm -hmm. and because nobody really did anything because media didn't really take it seriously at the time Mm -hmm. except i do remember law and order special victims unit doing like a riff (laughs) on it and i was just like oh this is it was so badly put together i was just like (laughs) That is more of a mainstream media response than any mainstream but, media but response. It was, it was like, I, I remember it being talked about, just not talked about, you know what I mean? But yeah. but this is this is really this is really the watershed. Um c- cyber stalking and revenge porn mm-hmm. also grew prominence around that time. Yeah, and now with AI, it gets a lot scarier. Um, right. I think we're seeing a rise currently in the gaming uh, culture, another rise of 
hate and misogyny towards women where they actually use AI generated voices, AI generated imagery Mm -hmm. to harass and intimidate women uh, in the gaming industry. It's quite horrifying, um, especially for streamers who have a lot of footages of their faces, of their likeness, of their voice online already, Mm -hmm. which can be taken by any person, generate into anything. That's a... That's a horrifying future that we're stepping into, but that's the direction that we're heading into right now, where they are still getting away with these types of harassment, these types of coordinated attacks onto individuals. And because of the lack of labor production um, in the gaming industry, there's really nowhere these women can go for help or for support. There really isn't. And so... Um, I also want to point out that um, there were other sort of predictors to Gamergate before. Um, In 2012, there was male backlash against feminist media critic Anita Sarkeesian over her attempt to expand her commentary on films into commentary on games and her harassment involved doxing death threats rape threats and bomb threats and she was driven out of her home for weeks um one planned lecture at a college campus was canceled over a mass shooting threat uh there were also in 2013 you had a series of disinformation campaigns that were spread on Twitter, primarily targeting black women and the manipulation tactics developed during these campaigns served as a blueprint for future movements like Gamergate and continue to be shared across anonymous message boards and far right blogs shaping that online world. And So this had been happening for a while, but it was, it was many, it was dismissed a lot of times as, oh, it's just the trolls. And I, I really, I really hate that because it's so dismissive. Don't feed the trolls. Okay. So we let this stuff proliferate and then what we're here now, because that's what we did because we said, we talked about free speech and then we downloaded the responsibility and, and the, and the, and the trauma onto the victim by saying, don't feed the trolls. Mm -hmm. That's, it's just not, it's not on is my point. Anyway. So now that we've talked about Gamergate, so gay and I, all this also reiterates the fact that we keep saying on this podcast the violence against women is a predictor of other kinds of violence mm-hmm. thank you yeah like the the harassment is like of course there is the aspect of people coordinating these harassment doxing these individuals and then going after them but another tactic that was actually i think really utilized by gamers is called swatting I don't know if yes. you've heard of it. I've heard of it, but explain it to our listeners. It's a horrifying thing. So 
swatting is when you find this person's IP address and you call the police and you play, you know, gunshots, you play this like sob story. I got abducted. I'm in the basement. There's guns everywhere. There's bombs everywhere. These are terrorists. You know, they make up their stories to the police. So the police show up to this address ready to swat and go in with guns a blazing. And this was used to harass fellow gamers. You know, I'm pissed at this guy who beat me in the game. I'm going to swat him. Um, wow. well, I have heard very, like, a wide range of horror stories. But it's even used as, like, a threat. You don't need to actually swat someone. You can just say, I'm going to swat you. That's that's enough of a, you know, precursor to drive you off that server, to drive you away. Um, well, that's what happened with Clara Sorrenti. Yeah, uh, a trans Twitch streamer who was targeted by, again, one of these right-wing online message boards, Kiwi Farms, for spearheading a basically swatting campaign against against her. And um, I can only imagine what a traumatic, horrifying experience that is. So again, these things don't stay online. They never do. No. And when you give people the ability to provide comments, provide feedback, voice chat, like chat in an anonymous space, you have to be ready for that content to get unacceptable, to be hatred filled, to be harassment, to be other types of unacceptable behavior and be able to moderate it. But it's it's like social media. The, their reporting systems never work. And there's massive amounts of input. So you can report it. But like, do you, what's going to happen to the other guy? They're, they're going to make a new account and keep going. <laughs> also, let's not forget that in 2014, um, you know, you had the Santa Barbara mass shooting who had a misogynistic online manifesto and a history of participating in deeply misogynistic online spaces. So yes, um, the spaces that we are creating now are absolutely uh, violent and um, dangerous to a lot of people. So how now I find that We have just described just fertile um, breeding ground for right-wing ideologies. And earlier you were talking about kind of how it happens, how these, how they're, how these people are groomed, um, for example. And we talked about the story of John and his son and so we could see the grooming taking place. In the New York Times, uh, there's an opinion piece called Fortnite, From Fortnite to Alt-Right that, is, that really talks about the pipeline from gaming to alt-right, far-right, neo-Nazi ideology and groups. So she, she says, rather than waiting, the author says, rather than waiting for targets to find them, Recruiters go to where targets are, staging seemingly casual conversations about issues of identity and race in spaces where lots of disaffected, 
vulnerable adolescent white males tend to hang out. Those who exhibit curiosity about white nationalist talking points or express frustration with the alt-right's ideological opponents, such as feminists, anti-racism activists, and social justice warrior, are then escorted through a funnel of increasingly racist rhetoric designed to normalize the presence of white supremacist ideology and paraphernalia through the use of edgy humor and memes. And I, this has been talked about too, about how much memes as, you know, with these ideologies are disguised as edgy humor. They're casually racist or casually misogynistic or casually homophobic, you know, or casually anti-trans. And, you know, they'll get a laugh out of you or whatever, even though you know it's, you know, it, that's what makes it kind of funnier, I suppose. Um, but I also want to, to say that a lot of the language used in these memes are language that we have perpetuated in the mainstream. And a lot of language that can be used to identify who is disaffected and who is not is propped up in the mainstream. Language like social justice warriors. And what I would say mainstream sort of pushback on that, um, that sort of ideology. Uh, Woke is another word that would be used to identify the disinfected. And I don't want to undercount mainstream media's participation in the creation of the parameters of what is acceptable and what is not, what should be discounted and what shouldn't be. That is then used to identify who is disaffected and who is not. Yeah. That was so well put. <laughs> Thank you. I have better words for that. Thank you. I've been but, thinking about this a long time. <laughs> I can tell. <laughs> but it is true, right? Like when like you think about people who I spend a lot of time online gaming in these multiplayer games, they come off of work. They had a hard day of work. They're done with society. And you go into the safe space where you can, you know, exchange, you know, a little bit of solidarity oh I you know I got that heart I got that item for you because I know you're having a hard time here it is um having someone who is not like involved with the outside world with you you're only in that game space there's a little bit of safety in that that like outsiders don't get um I have played, I have participated in many discourses uh, in many groups and e-gaming teams that everyone among me is a misogynist. And I very much understand that. And every one of them is a sexist and a racist and a transphobe. And I am still in that space with them because that was like my, my sanity space that I needed to, you know, play this game and I needed someone to play it with me so that I could, you know, advance in my level or whatever. But for other people who don't, 
click on and who are younger, who don't understand there are people out there who are trying to push you into extremist spaces. It's, it's perfect. Um, they hook you in with a little bit of positivity, with a little bit of solidarity, with a little bit of friendship that you may not get in the outside world. And you very much could quickly go into a discourse space where you're sharing your thoughts with actual Nazis who are trying to, you know, buy guns and build a militia. Like, it's not unheard of. Um, I wandered into spaces like that by accident, and it's easier than most people would think. Um, and how you kind of get recruited and adopted into these spaces. Because it, yeah, it, there's a lot of sub-communities within the gaming culture and um, each of those sub-communities itself have, have an appeal towards that type of like white supremacy. You have to like an appeal to misogynists. So it's, yeah, it's a very terrifying space to be in. <laughs> well, um, video games in particular make for an ideal recruiting venue because they come equipped with an easy to understand narrative of the unwelcome invasion of our spaces. And I think that that's sort of like the common thread throughout all of this is the space, who has power in the space, who has the power to moderate the space, um, who has a, or not even moderate, but to take over the space more than moderate. Um, and that is sort of, that is a, a, a wonderful discourse for hate. Who belongs and who doesn't? Who is the natural gamer and belongs in the space are very, very connected. And that's why we kind of started out this discussion with what are, what's the market look like? What do the demographics look like? Because video games are marketed in a way where this, this the demographic that we talked about is quote unquote the natural gamer. And anybody who does not fit that invades our space. Now, how many steps is do you think is between that and like immigration policy? or immigration beliefs you know what I mean especially when you have games that 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 are all white saviorism the, the majority of them yes <laughs> or 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 just slightly or just racist or like or just misogynistic you know, re reinforcing that supremacy and that ideology within the construction itself much yeah. less the players and so, especially for young people who mm -hmm. are literally just learning about the world, just opening up their minds into yeah. all different possibilities. Yeah, and they're getting that, them at that coming of age. Yeah. That's it, what's scary. Is and the they're getting yeah, the recruitment is of that coming of age time where you're trying to figure out your identity. Mm -hmm. And, and it's you a are. very vulnerable like place to be. And it I don't really think is, yeah. 
I don't. And you know, adolescent is hard already in terms of belonging, right? Absolutely. Like I said, like gaming is a place for you to get away from the real world, Mm -hmm. and that becomes just fertile ground for that breeding of extremist ideologies. Of well, maybe women are pretty bad because you know, look at this game, like the 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 lady is you know uh just here for my money or you know whatever type of reinforcement that they're doing in that game because their sexualization is only level one of how it's portrayed Mm -hmm. there are are so many layers of um right because you're coming into your own sexuality at that time too Mm -hmm. yeah so I before we get to uh, her recommendations, what is you know I mentioned memes and the humor that goes along with it. That's that's sort of like the spoonful of sugar that makes the medicine go down. If mm-hmm. you know what I mean, the catalyst. What can parents, aunts, and uncles and other relatives do? Because let me tell you, I was at my cousin's house during Christmas. And all they do is like game. <laughs> and I'm like, like it at like hours in the morning, this 15 year old is gaming. Yeah. And I'm just like, I'm sorry. Like what? Does he have to go to school? That's how I spent my Christmas. <laughs> no, but like I, first off, like for fair parents, enough. Like it was aunt. Christmas break, but like, oh my gosh, I just... <laughs> I mean, I like, for everybody like... listening, gaming is really good. It helps people with their critical thinking skills. It helps with logic skills. It helps with spatial skills. Like, it has a lot of benefits. I love gaming, and I think everybody should game. But mm-hmm. it has for... a lot of problems. Uh, what a does lot it? of problems. And so, what can parents do? Tell us, aunts and uncles, and you know, <laughs> it starts the, like beginning, right? Like when you. When your kid is going out to buy a game, look up the game. Go and see what the story is about. Go and see, you know, is there, are there problematic imageries? Are there problematic narratives being put forth with this, like, story? If they're buying Far Cry, know that this whole game is about white saviorship. If they're playing Call of Duty, know that it's just about shooting things and killing things. Um, Like, knowing what your kids play is step one. But I think one of the things that, parents don't often do is like they watch their kid play but they never really engage with them it's like what's that game about go ask them what do you think the game is about what do you kids, think let me tell you something about kids you want to get on a kid's <laughs> kid side and they're playing you ask them what they're playing exactly you ask them about it and they will talk for hours honestly it is honestly who's yeah. your favorite character why right. is there they are your favorite um, games that have online chat spaces don't let your kid play with the headphones on listen to what's happening in the game listen to what people are saying to them I have lost count at the amount of times that people try to tell me to kill myself because I'm playing a multiplayer game and they just hate you and that's just the p- way people interact online when they don't see each other so right. listen in be engaged with your kid when they're playing their game understanding what they're hearing what they're seeing and like, frankly, like Google's there, look it up. It's, it's really easy um, for, for you people who 
are intentional in finding out what this game is about. When you read the story plot line or when you read about who made the game, the red flags will, will pop up when you read it. It's not that difficult, but you have to be willing to put in the time, the effort, play with your kid, like actually go sit beside them and, while they play, absorb the story as you're playing it, seeing where those sexist narratives, those racist narratives are being blasted at your kid and understanding that you can talk to them about it. Hey, did you know like what this is showing isn't really all right? Like the sexualization of women isn't all right. And this is happening. Um, I don't think it would be realistic to say, don't buy any games that objectifies women. Don't buy any games that have racist connotations because you wouldn't be able to purchase anything from mainstream gaming market. You wouldn't be able to participate <laughs> in pop culture, honey. <laughs> <laughs> I tried. I tried. I tried to be a shut in. But, you know. But yeah, but, but there's a spectrum. Yeah. It's and not either or. There's being... a spectrum being able to get ahead of it right like talking to your kid before they launch themselves 10 hours a day into the game knowing who they play with um like you know what i was saying like you can join different discourses where we play this game together knowing who those people are you don't necessarily have to introduce yourself and say i'm the parent but tell them to unplug the headphones and listen in to what the conversations are happening scroll through the Discord chat records, they're there. You can see what other people in that channel have posted and you can spot, you know, oh, that that's not, that's a little, uh, not that great of a conversation. Maybe I should, you know, red flag this group channel and not right. it continue to be in this environment. But really like watching the games, playing the games with your kid. Tell your kid, hey, can I can I try this level out? It, it starts somewhere, right? You have mm -hmm. a, have to have that conversation at some point as you are watching a movie. Hey, mm -hmm. kid, this movie is um, a little little enforcing on the racial stereotype here, and this is why. You mm -hmm. can have that conversation with your kid, but you have to first be actually involved and know what things are about. Well, somebody better talk to somebody because these 12 year olds think that the white man is under attack. Okay. I'm telling you, I, I heard that 12, 12. Okay. I had a 12 year old kid tell me to kill myself. Cause I like beat him in a game. Okay. Like these are vicious, vicious environments. Yeah. And even if you weren't that type of a character, being entrenched in it like if I have had 10 really bad games I become a nasty person too mm -hmm. <laughs> it's not that I want to be nasty but you're entrenched in an environment where everybody is being nasty to each other and it becomes really easy to participate in that toxic culture well on that dystopian note <laughs> oh this is giving my gamer fix my playstation still broken <laughs> Oh, good. Well, not that your PlayStation's broken, but this this must suck that your PlayStation's broken. Do you have an Xbox? I do. <laughs> I just don't play Xbox. I am a PlayStation girl. Um, so those Xboxers, yeah, come at me. But no, <laughs> I'm a PlayStation girl. <laughs> fair. Okay, fair enough. Well, thanks for coming on. 
And as usual, everybody, make sure you subscribe to the podcast. We will, for those who don't know, this was released for free, mainly because I think it's a very important conversation to have. And it's one that we should have in an intersectional way if we want to understand a lot of the things that are going on and how um, how boys get recruited into the far right. And that happens in a ver- in various ways. Uh, we will be back soon. We are going to take a couple weeks off in Easter. So we will be back around mid-April. Um, but we've left you with good content and extra content. So please subscribe and gift a subscription uh, at badandbitchy.com. You can email us at badandbpod at gmail.com. And we will be back in springtime. Two weeks. Thanks, everybody. Have a good one. Bad and bullshit.